I'll tell you, one of the joys of working with people in the ministry that is just, uh, for me, is one of the greatest blessings. I know my wife feels the same way. Is, is, is just having a group of people that just are willing to do whatever needs to be done. I'll tell you, that's, there's so many people all serve God with conditions. And to have a group of people who just will do whatever it takes to get the job done, no matter what it is, is more than any man could ever ask for with people. And those are the kind of people that God brings to us. And I just thank God for it. And that's the kind of people that we want to build. So again, I want to thank you and, and just everybody just stay with it till we get all this stuff done. And then we'll just thank God for everything that uh, he does. God has some tremendous things for us and you know I every time I meet with you guys individually or in Bible study or talk to you you know I I see the potential that is in everybody in this uh, in this church and uh, I just thank God for it and that's why we're doing what we're doing as we're coming through the Bible we're laying down a baseline laying down the foundation structure for you that you're going to use the rest of your life because the Bible is going to have to be the key component so uh, if you have your Bible this morning, we're in the book of Obadiah. And uh, the little Obadiah book is just one short chapter in the, in the Old Testament. And uh, only got 21 verses. In fact, it's the shortest book in the Old Testament. Now in the New Testament, the shortest book it would be 3 John in the New Testament. But uh, in the Old Testament, uh, Obadiah is the shortest, smallest, littlest book in the Bible. And yet this uh, little book is an absolute bombshell. It's probably one of the most misunderstood books in all of the Bible because uh, uh, it takes the Bible and believing the Bible to figure this little book out. And uh, you would think just by reading it that it just talks about, you know, uh, a group of people that uh, God talks about down through here and all of that. But uh, this little book is the key to some of the greatest doctrinal teachings in all of the Bible. And uh, it's really a key to understand the process by which heresy uh, gets defined in the Bible. And we're going to use this book today to show you some tremendous truths. Because all of you, as we grow, as we continue to work together, and you continue to be part of the ministries here, and uh, we, you know, forge and shape and uh, direct uh, uh, all of the aspects of your spiritual life, if we work together as a church, you're going to see how that these books come into play and how you use them. Now the breakdown of the book is 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 really simple because um, you only got one chapter. So uh, verses 1 through 16 focus on the judgment of Edom. And then in verse 17 you have a paragraph mark. And with that paragraph mark uh, you find from verses 17 through 21 you find the deliverance of Israel. And uh, that's basically how this little book breaks down. So with that in mind, let's go to the Lord today and let's ask God to bless us as we come to His Word. Father, we thank You and praise You for the Lord Jesus. We love You. We thank You for all that You do for us. We thank You, Father, for uh, Your love, for the Word of God that You've given us. We thank You for those that have come today, Father. Uh, Lord, that uh, ones that uh, made it a priority, Lord, to be here today because the most important thing to them is learning the Word of God. And I thank You for their faithfulness. I thank You, Lord, for uh, men and women who... Uh, and boys and girls who let nothing stand in, in their path of learning the book. And thank you, Lord, for uh, the fact that we can open it today 
that you've given us a word, Lord, that shows us and gives us insight into all that we do. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for his sake we ask it. Amen. Now, uh, I want to talk to you this morning, and I want to show you how to use this little book. Because this little book is just an example of things that you're going to find all the way through the Bible. Now, sooner or later, as you grow into the Bible, and right now, most of you uh, who are studying the Bible, you've been somewhat protected from this. And that's by design, because, uh, you know, when you have young Christians that are trying to learn the Bible and get their feet on the ground, many times they... uh, uh, they don't understand all of the things that are out there that will bite them, so to speak. And, and uh, so the Lord kind of puts a hedge about it. You know, you see that in the Old Testament. When the nation of Israel came out of uh, Egypt, God took them, away, uh, took them away in a time where he, he really didn't let anybody mess with them. Once they got out of Egypt and Pharaoh uh, was drowned in the Red Sea, you find that uh, God took their journey uh, in, a, in a fashion that gave them some time to get their feet on the ground. He didn't put them right up against another nation that they had to deal with. He gave them some time to regroup and to find out exactly uh, what they needed to do. And God does that with young Christians. And uh, God will never throw you to the wolves, so to speak. Uh, and by the time he drops you into the wolf den, uh, he'll have given you a double-barreled shotgun and, and showed you how to use it. So, uh, but you're going to find as you grow up that there are heresies within uh, the world that we have to deal with. And you're going to find that heresies simply define or bad teachings. You're going to find that there's teachings that uh, go contrary to the scriptures. And you'll find that uh, in the New Testament, when Paul is writing the New Testament, he's talking about in a number of places where men are corrupting the word of God, men are, are, are teaching false doctrines, that is not something that just came on the last hundred years. Let me tell you something. When Paul was penning the words of God, the devil was busy coming up with concepts that were heresy as far as confusing young Christians. And in some cases, damning people's souls to hell. That brings up another thing we need to discuss. Heresies come in two forms. You find heresies that are within the body of Christ. That's bad teaching that saved people get into. Then you have heresy that is without the body of Christ. That's the bad teaching that will send you to hell. Baptism for salvation will send you to hell. That's a heresy. Uh, believing that be living a good life and going to church will merit favor with God is a heresy that will send you straight to hell. Now, within the body of Christ, you find bad teachings that c- confuse Christians. And here's, what, here's the reason for it. The devil wants to do two things. One, he wants to damn your soul to hell. So he'll have men, and the list is endless down through church history, And uh, you'll find that if you go down through the history of the church, you'll find, we've talked about him before, guys like Origen, Clement, while there's even one guy called Macon the Heretic. I'd like to have that name. Uh, Tregellis, you know, Augustine, all of these guys. All of these men, and many more, all of these men had one thing in common, and that is they perverted the Word of God. They come up with the ideas that uh, were contrary to Scripture because the devil in his number one concept of heresy wants to damn your soul to hell. So guys would come up and say, you know what? Jesus Christ really wasn't God. He's another God, a lesser God, a begotten God. And that brought up the controversy, the fact that uh, Jesus Christ was not God, and so there was an issue over the deity of Christ. You know what? That thing took place all the way back there while Paul was still writing. And yet we find that alive today in many religions. There's people today in this city 
probably walk two or three blocks and bump into some of their churches that simply teach that Jesus Christ is not the eternal Son of God, that He's a created prophet, a good man, a good teacher, but He's not God. And of course, that's heresy. And that heresy will send you straight to hell like a silver bullet uh, faster than anything that I know. Then you had somebody to come up with the idea that, you know what, it's not putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's being baptized. That's what saves you. And that doctrine is a heresy, and that'll send you to hell. Then there was other teachings that said, no, you know, just join a church, live a good life, keep the Ten Commandments, you know, do unto others before they do it to you, and all those great golden rule concepts. And, uh, and somebody said, uh, if you do that, you'll go to heaven. And of course, that teaching's a heresy, and that'll send you to hell. Then there was heresies that men designed that were in the body of Christ. Remember now, heresy number one is to get you lost in hell, eternally damned. But the devil knew that there were people that were already saved. So heresy number two, or plan number two, was heresies that were among God's people. Heresies, what I call, within the body of Christ. And those are things that won't send you to hell, but they'll confuse you to the place that you'll never grow. One of them is you can lose your salvation. That's a heresy. Let me just say this to you. If you go through your life not sure you're saved and thinking you can lose your salvation, you will never do anything meaningful for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why? Because you'll be too busy worrying about your own soul to worry about the soul of somebody else. It's basic 101 uh, Bible doctrine. Another one is things like the charismatic movement. Doctrines. Uh, that, another one is like predestination. Another one is, you know, uh, things that, uh, you know, that, uh, uh, there's all kinds of them. And, but, but those are doctrines within the church that stop the church. They stop your growth. They stop you from, from being everything that God wants you to be. And those kind of teachings, those kind of heresies, are within the church of saved people. And a basic study of church history will show, you know, two lines developing in the Bible. And uh, the two lines that we're studying, you know, when we get together. The biblical line and non-biblical line. I've taught most of you those things. And you find those two lines developing. And the one line is a biblical line that stays true to the Bible. The other one is a non-biblical line that deviates from the Bible. The one stays pure in its doctrine, in its teachings. The other one deviates all over the place and creates both heresies. Heresies within, heresies without. Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19, and I, I know now you're probably thinking in your mind, well, that's too bad. Why did God let that happen? Well, heresy's not a bad thing. I mean, heresy is a bad thing, but heresy is not a bad thing. Notice the inflection of my voice. I'm using inflection here. Inflection is a, a way of communicating. I'm inflecting things to you. Quit deflecting what I'm reflecting. And don't obliviate. That's my job. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19, here's what Paul says. He says, For there must be also heresies among you. He says there's got to be. And he says it's okay. You don't need to be afraid of heresy. Let me tell you something. As a young Christian... You don't need to be afraid of bad teaching when you're in a good Bible-believing church. Because as long as you submit yourself to this church, as long as you submit yourself to me and I submit myself to you, it's two-sided, I will never allow bad teaching in this church. We will always go back to the Bible, 
And you will see in a moment why you don't have to be afraid of heresy. Because Paul says, For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Now look at that verse. You know what that verse says? That verse says that heresy or bad teaching is good because it approves who are the people who really have the truth. And that's a tremendous concept. Tremendous concept. Because a man or a woman, and they come in both categories, a man or a woman who is a false teacher, in the middle of people who know the Bible, will never survive. However, you can remember the times in Bible studies over the years where somebody came in who believed something other than the Bible. And they were heretics. And I would just step back, give them the floor and step back and let you guys just whack them up one side and down the other. And I'd go out and get a Coke, go get a Camberg someplace. Come back an hour later and you guys were still beating them up. You know why? Because when a group of people believe that book, and that book becomes the foundation for what you believe, a heretic can't exist. That's why they always prey on young Christians. That's why you need to be in a Bible-believing church that stands on the Bible that protects you and teaches you the right doctrine till you get up on your feet to beat them up yourself. That's the plan. You've got to come to the point where you, you get your own spiritual legs. And that's my job. And that's what we're trying to do by showing you some of these great concepts here. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, a man or a woman who is a false teacher in the middle of people who know the Bible simply will not survive. You will find them hanging out at Bible studies in churches that don't have any real doctrinal stand themselves. And they will watch for the young Christians and then corner them. I remember, I think I told you the story a number of months ago. I was at a, an astronomy meeting out in Lee Summit at a pastor's church, the friend of mine who allows the, our astronomy club, not our astronomy club, but one and I, uh, I, I'm, I'm in, to have there. And I was standing out, and what they do is they would set the telescopes up in the, in the, in the yard out there, in the ball field, and they'd have their meeting, and I'd stay out there and watch the scope so nobody would bother them. Well, I'm standing out there, and two guys drive in. And, uh, and, and at this point in my life, on a Saturday night, I, I don't look much like a pastor. I probably don't this morning, but I work less than I did then. And I'm just kind of standing out there, and they drove up and come in there, and they walked in the thing, and they, there was a meeting, and they asked me, they said, is this a church meeting, or is this? And I said, oh, it's an astronomy club meeting. And they said, oh, okay, and they walked out. And I thought my, to myself at that point, I thought, well, maybe... Maybe they, they, they're looking for direction. So I go back out. I said, hey, guys. I said, uh, uh, you, can I help you? You need something? I said, I'm sorry. I said, I, I, and they said, well, we said, we just we had wanted to talk to somebody about the Bible. And I said, well, okay. I said, fine. Well, uh, well, can I help you? I know a little bit about the Bible. I'm kind of a little bit about it. I said, can I help you? Well, then he started going to this thing about uh he started going through this thing about a verse in Acts that, uh, and, and, and just dropped the verse on me and said, you know, and it was a confusing verse if you didn't know your Bible. And what they were trying to do, I found out later, they belong to a, a church that, uh, that what they do is they send out people, they go to churches, Baptist churches, because they know that most Baptists are stupid as a stump. And 
they pry on and they thought I was a stump stupid person, you see? And they come up to me and they, they, they started, and, and, and I tell you what, it, you know, to make a long story short, time I was done with them, I mean, they were, the, the smoke coming out of their car was not from their tailpipe. <laughs> but that's how they operate. That's how they work. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. Now, your Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, and this is why a heretic really doesn't have any, any, any way to survive in a Bible-believing church. Because the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter uh, 1, verse 20, it says that no scripture is given of any private interpretation. You don't go into the Bible and privately interpret the Bible. When you do, you get heresy. The Bible tells you there is an absolute format by which you come to a conclusion in the Bible, and that is comparing Scripture with Scripture because the Bible interprets itself. And when I teach you the Bible, I teach you the self-interpretation mode. Not yourself, the Bible itself. Laying out for you what you need to see and what you need to understand in the Scriptures. And as long as you stay with that, stay with the Bible, uh, it'll never, it'll never it does two things. It separates the men from the boys. And it, it really, as what the Bible says, it approves who has really got it and who doesn't. I'll, I'll give you an example. Now let me show you just a couple things here. Uh, in first, you, don't, you don't have to turn to these. I'll just read them to you. And, you know, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirit. Now that's a good key. In time... As you grow spiritually, some of you already know how to do this, but in time, as you grow spiritually, you will learn how to try the spirits. You will be able to tell if somebody on the other side of that eyeball is looking at you is teaching you right or wrong just simply based on understanding how to try the Spirit. Now, that's not a spooky, charismatic, witchcraft thing. The Bible says that God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God in the book of Romans. And there's a lot to that, and I'll give that to you when you're ready. Some of you I could give it to you all night long and it still wouldn't do any good, but, you know, that, uh, but we'll get to that when we get to a point. Now, he said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether to be of God, because many false prophets are gone into the world. Now, look at this. Now, here's one, one verse. With this one verse, God knocks out 90% of heresies that teach you something that will send you to hell. Watch this. Verse 2 says, Hereby we know the Spirit of God, how do we know it? How do we know it? How do we know it? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. That one verse wipes out 95% of the false teachings. Because that verse says that if a church, a pastor, whatever, teaches that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God, and He's not equal with God, and He is not God, then that spirit is not of God. That wipes out 90% of the cults out there right now. I mean, did you ever stop and think that wipes out Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, Seventh-day Adventists, Unity, Christian Science, the Muslims, the Confucius, the Buddhists, and 40 others right off the bat. Now, the problem becomes this. Once the Bible tells you that, you're faced with a decision. You're either going to accept that and believe it and operate with that standard, or you're not. And the more you play back and forth with it, 
I heard somebody say one time, well, can you give me two more verses that substantiate that? And I said, well, you need two more verses. And the Bible says, because the Bible says in the Bible, in the mouth of three witnesses, the thing shall be established. And I said, well, you already got it. No, you gave me one verse. I said, but that verse came from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There's your three witnesses. What more do you want? Now, why do you need two verses when the Bible tells you in one what to do? You know what your problem is? You're not honest. I don't need two. I just need one. I don't, I'm not like Gideon, you know, when God told him to do something, he said, well, okay, Lord, I'm going to do it, and I believe you, but you know what? Do something impossible to show me that's real. I don't need that. I, I've come enough far in my life to know when the book says that I believe it, and when it's that clear, it doesn't have to be any clearer. Now, that one verse right there, but you see, it brings you back to the Bible. And now you're faced with believing what it says or believing what you want to believe. One verse. Now, I'll tell you another one. We got, within the body of Christ, the charismatic movement. All this stuff going around, and how many times I've heard somebody say, how many times I've heard somebody say about tongues in my Bible study over the years, or in my own personal talk with them, they'll say, well, you know what? Speaking in tongues is initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Well, that sounds so nice, and thank you for your private interpretation, but my Bible says that tongues are for a sign, and the Jew requires a sign in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Corinthians 1. I mean, you can make this beautiful statement how it's the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but if it's not in the Bible, it means nothing. And when the Bible redefines it differently, you're out, the Bible's in. You see, I don't have to have a sign for, I got a book, a more sure word of prophecy, and that one right there wipes it out. Bible says, well, I believe you got to be baptized to go to heaven. I believe it's works. I believe it's being baptized in water. Here again, the Bible said, John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, but as many as received him, that him gave him power to be the sons of God, which were born, not of blood, didn't come through your family, nor the will of flesh, Nothing that you can do in your own body to will it, nor the will of man. Nothing man can do to you, for you, around you, on top of you, underneath you can do it, but born of God. Simple as that. Somebody said, The Bible says it very clearly. You either get on board or get off. Now that's why there has... God is not the author of confusion. The devil is the author of confusion. And when God gives you a clear, concise verse, man makes it confusing. And that's why there's always been a true biblical line, you need to find it. With a true biblical Bible, you need to find it. As their final authority, you need to get it. And we're willing to die for it. And also why the devil wants to take away your authority, because the bottom line is, Heresy will rule where there is no final authority. And if you don't hear anything else I said this morning, you hear that. Heresy will rule where there is no absolute final fixed authority that defines, lays out, and it is the bottom line for what you believe. Because then it becomes situation ethics, and it becomes the book of Judges. Every man did what's right in his own eyes, and there was no, no law, no authority, no absolute standard, no king in Israel. Now, I said all that because when you come to the book of Obadiah, the book of Obadiah exposes an incredible heresy. The book of Obadiah does a, a number of incredible things. But the one thing that it does 
it exposes a heresy that is within the body of Christ today that many of you don't know anything about, but you need to learn, and today's the day, so here we go. And that is the heresy of the teaching, and you'll run into these guys sooner or later, of what is commonly called Calvinism. In times coming up in the uh, in the church, early church age, it was called covenant theology. It primarily starts with the Presbyterian Church through John Calvin, who founds the Presbyterian Church around the time of the Reformation. Today we find, and I find this all the time, a, a rebirth of Calvinism in the form of Reformation theology. And many, many of the radio Baptist preachers that you hear today on the radio are, have bought into Reformation theology and now are Calvinist or always have been Calvinistic in their concept. Now let me explain Calvinism. First of all, let me explain Calvin. <clears throat> John Calvin <clears throat> led a Reformation or a revolt against the Roman Catholic Church in the 1500s. John Calvin <clears throat> is held up as one of the great Christians of the faith. If you bought any book on church history, you would find him hung up there with Martin Luther and, uh, you know, and, and all the other great guys and, uh, uh, you know, men hold Calvin up in high esteem because of Calvin as a great theologian. And let me just say this. I've read Calvin's books. I've read his works. If John Calvin believed what he wrote, he believed in his books, he died and went to hell because he believed in baptism regeneration for salvation. And I'm just telling you straight up. That's the way it is. So John Calvin comes up with the teaching of election, and there's two more words you need to understand, election and predestination. Now let me explain what John Calvin taught. John Calvin come up with five points in his teaching. Five, there's five points in Reformation theology, five points in covenant theology, Five points in Calvinism or predestination or whatever, uh, hyper-Calvinism or however you, wherever you find it, there's five points. And those five points are not found in the Bible anywhere, shape, or form. But that didn't bother Calvin and it seemingly doesn't bother most people because what's the Bible anymore? But let me tell you what predestination and, and, and Calvinism and election really teaches. Here's what Calvin taught. Well, let me tell you the five things he taught. He taught limited atonement. He taught irresistible grace. He taught unconditional election. He taught total depravity. And he taught perseverance of the saints. Now within those five things, here's what Calvin taught. And here's what Reformation theology teaches. And here's what uh, many, many, many churches teach today. Many, many Baptist churches teach today is simply this. Way far in the distant past, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit went into a huddle. And in that huddle they said, okay, we're going to make the plan, we're going to make man, we're going to make the earth, and we're going to make this thing, and we're going to have it going. And here's what we're going to do. Let's sit down right now, because we're infinite in our wisdom. Let's decide who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. An election simply means that God chose you and didn't choose the guy sitting next to you. Election is, God says, you're going to heaven, and you're not. What do you think of that? God said, ah, you'll get saved and you won't. Now that's where these five points come in. 
Unconditional grace means if you got grace, you get it unconditionally, and you cannot not get saved. But if you don't have that, and you are part of the limited atonement crowd, Joe, you could pray to God to save you all night long, and God won't save you because you're not the elect. I've never understood those churches. I went to one of their services one time. I just wanted to hear what they sang. They sing songs like, Jesus love me, sorry about you. You're not one of the chosen few. Little ones to him belong. You didn't make it. Da 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 da. Now, their basic teaching is that God chose some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell. And if you are the one going to heaven, there's nothing you can do about it. You will get saved. And if you're not one to go to heaven, there's nothing anybody can do. You're going to hell. Now, behind the scenes, let me show you how that heresy destroys the work. Because if that's true, why do I have to win anybody to Christ? Why do I have to put missionaries on the field? Why do I have to witness anybody or give invitation to be get saved? The bottom line is, if you're going to get saved, you're going to get saved whether I do it or not. And if you're not one of the elect, you couldn't get saved, so why should I bother? And that mindset destroys the soul-winning ability of people of what they ought to be doing where the Spirit of God moves through them to win people to Christ. And it's a heresy. It's a heresy. And of course... Uh, one of the places that they go to, one of the many places, is Romans chapter 9. Let's turn there. We want to turn there so we can look at this. Romans chapter 9. Because here we have found two places. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I got five points that I can't find in the Bible, but don't worry about that. Let's go someplace that supports those five points, even if those five points, which my whole faith is built on, doesn't exist anywhere in the Word of God. And that's exactly what they do. In Romans chapter 9, they find two guys. The first one's in verse 17. And in 9 and 17, he's talking about Pharaoh. And he says, For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore he hath mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Oh, there's the verse, there's the verse, there's the verse, there's the verse that says that God raised Moses up for God's glory, and then God hardened Pharaoh's heart because God chose not to show mercy on Pharaoh. And there it is, there it is. See, we found the place. There it proves it, there it proves it, that proves it. Hey, let me tell you something. Heresy flourishes where there is no Bible. You go back to Pharaoh and you find where Pharaoh's story is told back there in the book of Exodus. You will find five times where the Bible clearly tells you Pharaoh hardened his heart. 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 heart. Then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He just took the hardened heart Pharaoh gave him. And the Bible says in the book of Timothy that in a great house, God has vessels of honor and God has vessels of dishonor. And what he's saying, you know what? God is going to get honor and glory out of everything, buddy, place on this earth. Whether you're a vessel of honor or dishonor, you choose. That's what you got. And then the other one. 
is over here in uh, chapter 9. And look down here at verse 13. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Whoa, there we go. That'll prove it. Who cares the fact that I don't have the five points couldn't be found in the Bible. I want to believe it. I'm going to find me a verse. And here's a place where, Bob, how can you deny it? The Bible says God loved one guy and he hated the other guy. Well, that's why you got to have a Bible, boys. I hate to keep going back to the Bible, but I don't know what else to do. I left my Reader's Digest at home. Verse 13 says, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. And now we come to the book of Obadiah. Obadiah figures this one out. You ever notice that Obadiah is the only book in your Bible that's written to a nation of people? It's not, it is the only book in your Bible that is sold. Now, I know there's other places like Jeremiah where it talks about other nations. But there is no other book in the Word of God where it is aimed, focused, cross-haired, zeroed in, dropped on one nation of people. And that nation of people is the Edomites. The Edomites come from one man. His name is Esau. And the Hebrew word for Esau is Rome. Oh, the plot sickens. Now in the book of Genesis, which is called the book of the beginnings, which if you're a Bible believer, you know that by the time you get to the end of the book of Genesis, really Genesis chapter 14, but We'll tape it the whole book. By the time you get to the end of the book of Genesis, everything in the rest of the Bible has been defined for you. That's why it's called the beginning, the book of the beginning. Everything in the rest of your Bible is now easier to understand because it has been defined in the book that is the book of the beginnings. And you find that in those chapters, 50 chapters, every thing, every doctrine, every person, every concept, every doctrine that you're going to find through the rest of the Bible is now defined for you. And you are told in Genesis chapter 32 that Jacob means Israel. You were told in Genesis chapter 36 verse 8 that Esau is Edom. And then if that wasn't enough, God help us to not get all tangled up in the Bible today. But in Genesis chapter 25 verse 23, when the two boys are being born, Jacob and Esau, the Holy Spirit of God gave you a great prophecy. And he said that those two boys in her womb struggling were two nations. And then he tells you that Jacob is Israel and Esau is Edom. Now here's what you've got. Esau's the firstborn. He should have as the firstborn the blessing. He should have the firstborn the inheritance. 
but he forsakes it because of sin. The Bible talks about him, not directly but indirectly in Philippians chapter 3 verse 19, where it says, a man's God is his belly. Esau cared more for the things of this world. He's a hairy man, picture of the world. That's why you're not a real man in this world, you have hair in your chest. That's where it all comes from. It's a thing where he's a hairy man. He runs around in the field, field type of the world. He's a picture of a worldly lost man who hates the things of God, who despises the people of God. He hates the real things of God. And when he looked at the birthright and the blessing, two of the greatest things in the Old Testament that guaranteed the line of Christ was going to come through you and you'd have the inheritance and the blessings of everything down the line, he sold them out for a pot of chili. He said, I'm so hungry, I just don't care. What good is this birthright to me? Give me something to eat. And he sells his birthright. He loses the blessing. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16 says that he is a fornicator and he is a profane person. And Esau is a man who hates the things of God. He hates Jacob. Jacob of him never got along, and the Bible's telling you that there's more here than two boys. There are two nations. Jacob becomes the nation of Israel. Esau becomes the Edomites. Now, let's go on with our story. Because Esau despised his birthright, dumped the blessing and hated Jacob all of his life, and hated the things of God, and despised the things of God, you'll find in 1 Chronicles chapter 8, verse 13, where they become Israel's servants. God makes them the servants of Jacob. They become Israel's servants. And all the time during that time of the kings of Israel, they harbor grudges against God and the Jews, and they submit, but they hate them. And then when Israel begins to go into problems, when Israel begins to fracture as a nation, when Israel begins to get into trouble, and she begins to lose her grip, so to speak, and Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon and Assyria and Shennacherib are looming at the door. Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 21, verses 8, 9, and 10, that the Edomites turn on the Jews, revolt against the Jews, and make an alliance with Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to destroy the nation of Israel. And we're going to get into it New Year's Eve, but those boys are the Iranians, the Iraqians, the Jordanians, and the Syrians today. We'll get into that. They're in the land of Palestine. I'll show you where that's at. And they still hate the Jew today, and just like they lined up with the uh, lined up with Nebuchadnezzar, a type of the Antichrist, they will line up as those nations with the Antichrist when the tribulation period comes. In fact, in Psalm in Revelation chapter twelve and thirteen, the Bible talks about the Antichrist has ten nations with ten kings. And when you go back in Psalm chapter eighty three verse six, you find those kingdoms listed, and Edom is right at the top of the list. The book of Obadiah and the book of Genesis, comparing Scripture with Scripture, shows you that Romans 9.13 is not talking about two men, but two nations. God curses Esau. God hates Esau, Edom, Rome. Not because of predestination. Not because God loved one and hated the other. 
He hates him because of Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where God clearly stated, I'll bless those that bless thee, and I'll curse those that curse thee, concerning the nation of Israel. Oh, <laughs> how foolish of me. I forgot. Calvin could never get that truth. Calvin did not believe in the restoration of the nation of Israel. Oh, how foolish of me. Remember we talked about that last week? Men that don't believe that God's going to deal with the Jew and bring the Jew back or men that get messed up in, in all kinds of heresy. That was Calvin. Calvin no more thought the Jason of Israel. Hey, you know what Calvin was doing? Calvin wanted to separate the Roman Catholic Church not because they had a great love. Yeah, he had the right Bible. You know what? So what? Even a broken clock's right twice a day. Blind squirrels find nuts every once in a while. I mean, come on. Oh, he had the right Bible. I got a broken clock at home, and it's right twice a day, 6 o'clock in the morning and 6 o'clock at night, because that's when it stopped. So what? You want to buy one too? So he had the right Bible. He didn't believe what he had. He baptized babies all of his life. Oh, he wanted to do with break with the Roman Catholic Church. He wanted to set up his own church-state religion in Scotland, the Presbyterian Church, and he wanted to be the head of that one just like the Pope was the head of the other one. He no more believed that God was going to restore the nation of Israel than Ted Garner Armstrong does. He no more believes it than the, than, I mean, than the man on the moon. You see how it works? And there isn't a Calvinist in this world that would understand what I just gave you of the book Obadiah because he doesn't believe that God's going to do anything with Israel. He doesn't believe the Bible's the final authority. He's got five things he builds his religion on that you couldn't find anywhere in the Bible. Just like the Catholics got five, they couldn't build anywhere in the Bible. And they build this whole religion on toothpicks that doesn't go anywhere. And that's why a heretic will never survive in a group of Bible-believing, Bible-toting, Bible-shooting, Bible-maniacs who believe a final authority in one book will keep them from doctrine impurity. Page three. Now that's how the book of Obadiah works. It, and, and you've got to, you're going to, as we grow, as we work together, as I give you people to work with, as you get into this thing, and, and, a high, and every one of you here that have submitted yourself to this church, that have done whatever I've asked you to do, that have worked in ministry, whatever it's at, and, and just said, Bob, I don't care what it is. I, I know this church is young. I know we got to do it. Let's get it done. That's what God takes And you're going to face these people and a lot of other ones, and you're going to have to have your double-barreled 66 caliber strapped on. I don't want you to be afraid of anybody when it comes to that Bible. I don't want you to have to run with your tail between your legs from anybody when it comes to that Bible. That don't mean you be a fool. But it means that you don't have to back down because you know what you've got. I mean, you go someplace at work, or you go someplace, boy, and somebody makes fun of you, and there's times when you take it. 
You've got to have the discernment of the Spirit of God. But there's also a time, boy, when you it comes around 12 noon, and boy, you strap it on and walk down there, boy, and say, Hey, calling you out. Not all the time. I'm your little huckleberry. <laughs> yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, you know what? I was I was abused when I was young, and that's why I'm the way I am. Now, heresy is going to have to be something, and I'll teach you. We'll get there. We've already covered a lot of things on Thursday nights as we come through, and we'll come through them, and I'll work with you. I'll help you. There isn't a time in this world you can't call me and say, hey, I'm up against this. What do I do? I'll help you. I'll help you. As long as you're committed to this work here to do what needs to be done, you can have whatever I got, man. I'll help you. Now, there's another thing the book of Obadiah teaches, and this is from an inspirational side. And I want you to see this. Because the book of Obadiah teaches another great truth. Now last week we saw a great verse in Amos chapter 3 verse 3 which says, How can two walk together except they be agreed? We talked about that. But Jacob and Esau are a picture of that truth. And you know what? They're not, and they're not like Abraham and Hagar and Ishmael. Abraham produced Ishmael through getting out of fellowship with God and taking Hagar. And that caused problems. This isn't like Lot, who was such a vile person that he got into a cave and had incest with his own daughters and produced the Moabites and the Ammonites, who became Israel's problems. This is not like that. And this is the, those are great lessons, and we'll talk about those New Year's Eve, because I want to show you how that thing develops. But this is something else. This is something else you've got to see. Jacob and Esau had the same mother. They had the same father. They were of the same family. They had the same God. In essence, they had the same church. They had the same religion. And you know what? When you read that story, you come away with a great truth. There are some of God's people that you need to have nothing to do with because they will hurt you. That's a terrible thing to say. But there are some people in this world that you just need to stay away from. And Jacob and Esau is a picture of that truth. One's worldly and one's godly. And as hard as Jacob tried to get along, Esau always had a hidden agenda. And it had nothing to do. And that's the thing you've got to see. People will abuse you because deep down inside they have a problem with authority. They have a problem with God. They have a problem with the church. They have a problem with the Bible. So you will try to get along with them and you will try to help them. And all you do is become the fool. I learned this a long time ago. And I lived, and I and a, nobody, nobody got burned more with people than me. Look, look up here. Everybody look up here. Look at this face right here. This face was stupid for a long time. Look at this face. I know it's a lovely face. My mother loves this face. But this face was stupid. When I first got into ministry, I thought I could help everybody. I thought because I had the Bible and believed the Bible and I had this wonderful gift of God to be able to, I thought I could just, and you know what? That's not true. And I found out something. I found out there's a lot of people out there that say they love God, say they want to change, that say they want to do what's right, 
and they got their own hidden agendas. And I learned something. I learned you can't make anybody do right more than they want to. And the moment you try to go over that line, you're going to become vulnerable. You cannot help one person past the point they are willing to help themselves. And boy, you better learn that truth, especially you younger ones, because I'm going to put you in positions down the line in the next couple of years where you're going to be working with people, and I'll be right there with you, and I'll help you. You're my money in the bank. You're more valuable than any gold in Fort Knox. You're young. You love God. You love the book. You're all learning. You all want to learn. You'll do whatever God asks you to do. What more could you ask for? That's my money in the bank in this church. And I'll be there with you every step of the way. I'll help you through the down times, the up times, the good times, the, uh, the in-between times. But the bottom line is, you have to learn. There are some people you just have to let go. You just have to let them go. They will hurt you. They will hurt you. I'm telling you. He wound up, Jacob wound up trying to help him. Jacob, Jacob was not perfect, but then neither of any of us. But it shows you that Jacob tried to do what was right. He tried to make amends. He tried to do what he needed to do. But even beyond that, the nation just hated. It went beyond Jacob. And that's a great thing. It, went be, it shows you it went beyond the man. It was a concept that he saw hated. It was God's plan that he hated. And I don't care how much they talked about God. I don't care how much he, he, he had a problem with authority and he would not submit himself to the program of God and therefore he wound up being Jacob's enemy. And they will you. And you better learn it. This is somebody within his own family. This is somebody within his own church. This is somebody within his own concept of God. And I'm telling you, if you think there aren't saved people like this, there are. And if you think there aren't unsaved people like this, there are. There are vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. You choose. It's your choice, not mine. I will go with you up to a point. But in that point, you go your way and I go mine. It's as simple as that. Why? Because I know there are people out there that will hurt you. They will hurt you. Right now, I'll protect you. But there comes a time when you have to protect yourself and you have to be smarter than the people that you deal with. And that's what comes back to the book. The book. Then the last great thing. And for me, this is the greatest thing in all of the... Uh, for me, there's nothing greater in all the book of Obadiah this and the other stuff was incredible stuff. But boy, this is for me, as a Christian, wow. The last great truth is concerning the day God gives you your glorified body. You know, I gave you a couple of weeks ago when we studied the book of Hosea, I gave you Hosea chapter 8, verse 12, that says, I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as strange things. And I told you that's a verse you want to take home, put in your pocket someplace. If you had a locket around your neck, take out your grandma's picture and put that, that verse in. Or get two lockets with two sides so you can leave your grandmother's picture, throw grandpa out and put it in, one of the two, I don't care. But you don't want to forget it. Because it's showing you what's wrong today. It's showing you what's wrong today. That the great things that God put in this book, Christians think are strange. I'll even tell you one. Let me tell you something. 200 years ago, if you didn't believe the King James Bible was the Word of God, you were the heretic. 2004, if you believe it's the Word of God, now you're the heretic. See how that thing changed? See how that thing changed? And there are actually God's people today that don't 
can't even think that far back to figure it out. Oh, oh man. And this is the greatest concept. And it's a strange concept today. It's the concept that someday you're going to get a glorified body. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And the book of Obadiah is, is one of the greatest books in all of the Bible that lay out that great concept. Now, I don't understand why this is. And I know young Christians have to learn, and I'm, I'm putting that aside. I mean, young Christians have to learn the Bible, and they do, and they ask questions. We talk about it, Thursday night Bible study, whatever, and we learn, you know, things in the Bible that maybe you didn't know before. That, that's fine. I'm talking about Christians who have been saved 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 35 years. Pastors, deacons, Sunday school teachers, people who who just cannot grasp, for some reason they just have a hard time grasping the truth. Now that says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 40, it says this, there are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a na- How many times can he say it? There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man Adam was made a living soul, the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which was, is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Now here it comes. As is the earthy, such are they that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are also that they are the heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthly, right now, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now if you take that bear the image of the heavenly, and you'd go over to, uh, second, you don't have to turn to it, Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, you would find that the image, the image of God is Jesus Christ. So the Bible says, you bear the earthly now, that's the image of Adam, a fallen image. In that day when Christ comes back, you're going to bear the image of the heavenly. That's Jesus Christ. Now Romans chapter 8, and I don't mean to get theological on you this morning, but Romans chapter 8 talks about two adoptions. It talks about the day you get saved, your soul gets adopted, and then it talks about there's coming a day when your body's going to get redeemed, and your body's going to get adopted, and that is when you're going to get your glorified body. Now, let me ask you, and I, I don't understand this. I, 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 find the next pastor and just ask him about these things, and when he and, and, and then when he begins to uh, him haw around about it, press him on it. Just say, when I get to heaven in eternity, what kind of body am I going to have? Don't let him say a glorified body. Press him on it. Well, what do you mean a glorified body? What kind of body? And you press him and push him and press him and push him, you will find out a great truth. And that is, is most Baptist preachers do dance. They do dance. They'll dance around this like they're dancing, man. Well, let me ask you a question. When you got saved, did you get the Holy Spirit of God? 
Did you get a lesser Holy Spirit of God than God had? Or did you get the same Spirit that He had? Are you sure it wasn't a, I mean, are you sure it is the Spirit that God had? I mean, you know, God's Spirit. Bible says that He created the heavens and all those things and God's Spirit. You sure it's the same? You sure He just didn't say, well, when I say Bob Alexander, I'm going to, obviously not going to give Him my Spirit because I'm God. I'm going to give Him a a spirit of God, but it's going to be a less than a spirit that I've got. Are you sure it wasn't that way? No. You got the same spirit that God has is living inside you today. That's what the Bible says when 1 John 3, when it says, Now are we the sons of God? Now are we the sons of God? But it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we see Him, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Well, let me ask you a question. When you got saved, you didn't get a lesser Holy Spirit than, than God or Christ. You got the same Spirit. Well, when you get a glorified body, what suddenly makes you think you're going to get a lesser glorified body than Christ got? The Bible says you're a joint heir, equal Philippians chapter 3 verse 21 says, Who shall change our vile bodies that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. I mean, it's so, it's so easy. There was no different spirit. There was, you got the same one. And that's why, <laughs> that's why the church, you and me, is called the body of Christ. Because someday... You're going to get the body. Right now, if you're saved, your soul was redeemed and adopted the day you got saved. But you still got the flesh. But there's coming a day when you're going to get a glorified new body to go along with the glorious soul inside you. And that's what the Bible's talking about in Romans 8, verse 18, where it says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us in that day. The glory is in you right now, but it's not revealed yet. But boy, it will when you get the glorified body of Jesus Christ. Now, book of Obadiah. Oh, look down here in verse 20. I told you how that in the first couple of, first couple of verses there, and the breakdown, it deals with the judgment of Edom. And then in 17 through 21, at the paragraph mark, it deals with the deliverance of Israel. Now, when you get down in verse 20, really all down through this last part of this chapter here, but we'll pick it up in verse 20. Picture here is the, what takes place at the second coming of Christ. Now, I don't know if you know it or not, and I'm sure most of you do. Revelation chapter 19 parallels this. Revelation chapter 19 is a great chapter in the book of Revelation that deals with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it talks about the fact that Christ coming and the armies which followed Him in heaven. He's on a white horse, and the Bible says that the armies which followed Him in heaven on white horse, that's you and me. We're the armies. We're coming back with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is you and me in glorified bodies, just like Jesus Christ. Now watch this. Obadiah, chapter 1, verse 20, is a picture of that. And the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even unto Zarephath, that's the land, and the captivity of Jerusalem, that's their city, which is in Shepherd, shall possess the cities of the south. Look at verse 21. Second coming of Christ. And the Savior shall come. 
Not what it says. It says, save yours, plural. Why? Because it isn't just Christ coming back in a glorified body. It's us coming back just like Christ. And we are saviors with Him. Join heirs of Jesus Christ. Starts the day you get your glorified body. It couldn't be Savior singular because now we are a joint heir with Him. It has to be Savior's plural because you're just like Him now in your spirit and in your soul. And on that day you'll be just like Him in your soul and in your spirit and in your body, your new glorified body. Now let me tell you the standard answer when you dance with most Baptist preachers and you go through the two-step tap dance, little Watusi, little let's twist again like we did last summer. You do the shimmy, the shake, the bebop. You do the slammer. Oh, that's those little Hamburgs from, from Hardee's. I'm sorry. <laughs> I like anything you can eat 25 of <laughs> and not call yourself a pig. And after you dance, here's what he'll tell you. He'll say, you know what? You shouldn't really worry about those kind of eternal things right now. You need to be, those things won't help you in your daily life. You need to focus on the qualities of Christ, the love of God. You know, you become with these things so heavenly minded you'll really become no earthly good. Translation. I don't know the answer. I don't want you to think I don't know the answer. But I know you're stupid. I'm going to misguide and misdirect and which peas the shell under swing this thing around and I'm going to do a little tap dance and I'm going to bring it back to a guilt trip on your own spirituality so you won't ask questions that I don't have the answers to. Let me show you what the Bible says. I'll tell you what the Bible says about these deep things. And I know you can get so deep. I know you can. It's all balanced. I know, I know, I know, I know. Don't talk to me. I know, I understand. But let me show you what the Bible says. He says in 1 John, you don't have to turn to it, just listen to it. He says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, he says, Now are we the sons of God. I gave you that. But if nothing that yet appear, what we shall be. And he goes down and he talks about how that when we see him, that great truth that we're going to get that glorified body, we're going to be just like Christ. And then he says in verse 3, and every man that had this hope within him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. You know what he says? Those things don't make you worthless in this earth. When you understand that someday you're going to get what God's got for you, it'll help you get through the tough times on this old earth right now. It'll help purify your thoughts It'll help purify your motives. It'll help purify your works. It'll help keep you on track when the old world wants to knock you off track because you will understand there's a better day coming. You'll understand that for I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us in that day. 
You're going to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You're going to be the aristocracy of heaven. You're going to be everything that God wants you to be. And it is going to be one great, it will make every disappointment in this life. It will make every bad day. It will make every depressing moment. It will make every heartache circumstance. It will make every trip to the graveyard, every trip to the hospital, every bad thing in life just seem like it was nothing compared to the glory of that day when you finally realize, I'm home, it's over, and we won. And I'm in a place now where whatever I think, whatever I say, Whatever I do and wherever I go will for eternity please my Savior. And that is what heaven is. And that's the day a true born-again child of God is looking for. Now, you may find some young Christians that are working their way there. And I want to say, if you're saved and you're on your way to heaven and you're trying and you don't, you're not there yet, that's okay. No friend of God ever started out being the friend of God. The goal is wind up being the friend of God. You know what it says about Abraham? It says he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. My new glorified body. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus, and we love you so much.